Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. All right. Uh, thank you, Ruby. Let's just pray because I need to because it's good. Thank you, Jesus, uh, for your presence here. Wow. Thank you that you're good all the time. Uh, and I just pray that as we spend time in your word, we would hear directly from you what you want to say to us, what you want to do in us and through us. And we draw closer to you and live our lives changed and enriched because of you and your love and your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Who knows this rhyme? Most of us, it's actually uh, apparently the most well-known or popular English rhyme um, that is out there. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Who can tell me who or what is Humpty? An egg. All right, raise your hand if it's an egg. Most of us, most of us. Uh, how do you know that? Pardon? Play school. Play school told me it's an egg. <laughs> Love your education, Michael. Uh, it doesn't actually say that, does it? It doesn't actually say Humpty Dumpty was an egg. Um, this is probably where we get the idea that Humpty Dumpty was an egg. Is from Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland and her conversation with Humpty Dumpty, who himself said he's not an egg, she said, you look like an egg. But he's like, no, I, I'm not an egg, and he got mighty insulted. Um, so the rhyme itself doesn't actually say it's an egg, but we all believe that it's an egg, even though it doesn't say that. Now, just out of pure interest, um, Humpty Dumpty has been written in multiple languages, um, including in French, I think it's, uh, look, just forgive my pronunciation, all right? Uh, boule boule. Uh, this is Swedish or Norwegian. Lille trille. Uh, but these are two of my favourites. In ger- some parts of German, Runzelken Punzelken. Doesn't that sound better than Humpty Dumpty? My absolute favourite. Humpulken Pumpulken. Isn't that great? Still no egg. Still no egg. We have this thing sometimes where we know something, but we're not even sure why we know it or how we know it or where we learnt it. And so we have this rhyme, which actually started out as a riddle. And the most believed story about Humpty Dumpty was that it was some massive cannon that was around in the 1600s. And then in this war, the the church that the cannon was on top of, that's what we need, is a cannon. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Hey? Sorry, distraction. Um, the building gets knocked down by the approaching enemy and then this cannon, known as Humpty Dumpty, is knocked down and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't actually put it back together again. So, is it an egg? Is it a person? Is it a cannon? Is it just humpulkin, pumpulkin? Just sounds good to say. But we believe it's an egg. We just make that assumption even though most of us 
don't even think about why we get to the point of it being an egg. So as we come into Easter, we're asking the question about the different things that we might read in Scripture, the things that we've, we just, if, particularly if you've been Christian for a long time, you might have learnt these things growing up, you learnt them in Sunday school, somebody taught these to you, you've read them in the Scripture, and you're just like, well, that's just what we know, but why? Why do we know it? So we want to start off with this question. Why do we take up our cross? There's this fascinating conversation with, uh, that Jesus has with, um, oh, I've lost his name. It's a guy. In John chapter 3, it's a Pharisee. He comes to him in night, at night time. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Humpty Dumpty, Nicodemus. Okay, we're good. But the, uh, Nicodemus comes to him at night and he has this conversation and Jesus is talking about being born again. And Jesus says to him, how can you understand the things of heaven if you don't understand the things of earth? And Jesus talks to him about, it's, it's our testimony, it's our witness that I'm actually sharing with you. And he speaks from this heavenly perspective and he says that he is still in heaven. Some translations say he came from heaven, but he says I, that he is in heaven and sharing these heavenly revelations with Nicodemus. But Nicodemus is grasping to, or struggling to grasp an earthly reality. So Jesus says, how can you understand what I want to reveal from heaven's perspective if you can't actually understand the earthly perspective? And I feel like that was an important question for us over the next few weeks heading into Easter, that we're actually, it's really easy, we can read the Bible, we can read God's Word and not actually enter in to get His perspective on it. That we can just maybe read through it and go, okay, take up your cross, understand that. Or, um, you know, celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. Okay, I've got that, no worries. But why do we do those things? What's actually behind it? What's Jesus actually calling into, calling us into when he has these conversations, when he encourages us in these ways? Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Um, this is one of um, the best or the worst pep talks you will ever read. So Jesus is actually sending out his uh, 12 disciples, John chapter, uh, Matthew 10, 10 uh, verse 1. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. That is good news right there. So he sends them out and he gives them all sorts of encouragement, um, all sorts of directions about what they should do, where they should go, what they should be like as they go. He gives them this uh, instruction in verse 13. No, verse 12. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. Okay, that sounds kind of pleasant enough. Release your peace, go and visit these people, um, share your peace with them. That sounds... We can do that, right? We can share our peace with the people that we meet. Okay, then it gets a bit spicy. Uh, verse 21, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I don't know about you, but if I was one of the disciples, I'd be like... I felt really good, Jesus, when you gave us authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. With you there, 
feeling good, got the mission, know where we're headed. Excellent. Now we get down to verse 21. Uh, brother, the will, brother will betray brother to death and his father his child. I've got some questions for you, Jesus. What happened to releasing our peace? What's going on that we've now got brothers, we've got family actually betraying each other? It gets better. Let's go to verse 34. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Well, I've got authority to heal people, drive out demons. Sweet. I go visit people, I share the good news, release my peace. Excellent. Now you're telling me that you did not come to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Have you, have you read this? Like, it does my head in. I'm like, okay, all right. It gets better. Anyone, verse 37, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I'm like, oh, wow. See, this is part of the perspective and some of what Simon's been sharing since he got home. This is some that we don't really understand in our culture. Some of us might in this room, but most of us don't. I have no grid for this kind of experience in being a follower of Jesus because I grew up in a Christian home. Dad, pastor, um, generations before that, pastors, been in the church the whole time. For me to accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour of my life is celebrated in my family. Okay, My kids, when they receive Jesus as Lord and Saviour of their lives, we celebrate, we are so excited that they make that choice, that decision. Simon's telling me about people where when they... Uh, convert from Muslim, being a Muslim to following Jesus, they give up their place in their family, they give up their place in society, um, and some of them flee for their lives. And not like we're talking, this is what Jesus is talking about that actually choosing to follow him will mean you have to choose him over your family, which is just terrifying. And for most of us in this room, we don't have actually have to wrestle that. Now, some of us will have people in our family that don't like us or don't agree with us because we choose Jesus, totally. Most of us aren't fearful for our lives because we're following Jesus. And this is what Jesus came to do. He said, choosing me isn't going to be the popular vote. And even your own family will hate you if you choose me. And this is the choice that we get to make. Maybe it's not that we lose the respect and the love and the place in our family. Maybe we lose respect or admiration from our mates because we choose to serve and follow Jesus rather than going with them on a binge, whatever it might be. But we have a choice that will actually, could actually distance us in the relationships that we keep. This is what it is to follow Jesus. And in here, Jesus says, and this is the question we're asking, anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And he actually says this um, twice uh, throughout Matthew. Turn to Matthew chapter 16, just a few pages on. Matthew 16, 
and he's having a conversation with the disciples uh, where he predicts his death. And uh, I love Peter. Do you, I, just, I get excited when I read Peter and what Peter says because I'm like, he just lets it out. He's like an external processor, isn't he? He just thinks out loud, lets you have it. When it's there, he thinks it, he says it. That'd be fun. So uh, Peter takes Jesus aside, begins to rebuke him. Never, Lord, after Jesus has explained that he's going to be crucified. Uh, Matthew 16, 22, I'm in. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And he goes on to tell to all the disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. You'll notice throughout the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all record Jesus saying, take up your cross and follow me. The disciples never ask, "Um, what do you mean? Can you explain that to us? I'm not really clear on what you mean by take up your cross. Because in the day, the Romans actually, this was their favourite method of uh, killing people, was via crucifixion. This is how they would deal with their criminals that they really weren't fans of. And so the disciples had an idea of what death by cross was like. They knew what Jesus was talking about because they saw it. But not only did um, the Romans just stick a cross on the ground, stick a tree, whatever it might be, um, and then stick somebody on it. No, no, no. They actually paraded the people through the streets, just like we see with Jesus. That these people would be made to get their cross on their back and be marshaled through the streets to where they would be crucified. It was the most humiliating way that you could suffer, the most humiliating way that you could die in that day. And the Romans loved it and then the other nations around them started to get a hold of it. So when Jesus says... You want to follow me? Take up your cross and follow me. The disciples are like, oh, wow. That's actually, that could lead us into being humiliated in front of other people. That means we actually have to die to our own sense of pride and satisfaction and the things that we want from our own life and give them all up, that we actually put them to death. We put those things to death as we follow Jesus. But we don't, this isn't kind of a popular message. We don't like to talk about the fact that actually I've got to let go of some things. Some things in me might actually have to die. Actually, if you follow Jesus, and we'll look at that soon, all of you dies. It's Jesus that gives you the life once you start to follow him. And he says, the life that you're living, this life that you have that is not following me, kill that. Put that on the cross and follow me. Because you'll see most of the disciples, if you track through their lives, most of them were not crucified on a cross. We have no record of the disciples actually going, okay, I'm, I'll go and get a cross and I'll follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't live his entire life with a cross, does he? Like it's, it's one day where he actually carries his cross and is crucified on it. So the disciples, and we need to understand, Jesus isn't actually talking about going and getting a massive, heavy cross and walking through it, and walking through the streets with it. Jesus is actually talking about getting a heavenly perspective where our earthly lives pale into insignificance 
compared to our heavenly lives, that we would actually crucify who we have and what we have on the cross and leave it all behind to follow Jesus because he is worth far more than whatever we could obtain through our own desires, our own actions, our own will, our own purposes. I love this bit. It does, it does get better if you're not feeling great at the moment. I'm sorry. Um, verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he's done. Do you know there's numerous times that, we actually, that Scripture actually talks about us getting rewarded? For a long time, I know, we weren't, oh, no, we're not in, not in it for reward. I'm just in it so uh, I can die and go to heaven. No, actually, uh, it talks about a reward. Each person is rewarded for what they've done. We take up our cross, we follow Jesus. There's actually a reward that comes directly from the Father. In 1 Corinthians 4, it actually talks about when we come to face-to-face with God, that He actually praises us. I'd, I've read it numerous times, but it was like, the last time I read it, I was like, what? There's a reward that we get from the Father for the way that we live our lives, the way that we follow after Jesus. Now, it's not, it's not how we operate. It's not, um, it's not part of our discipleship process. It's not an evangelistic call that we put out that, hey, follow Jesus, you'll get rewarded. No, our reward is eternity with Christ Jesus. But there is reward that actually comes from Him. That each of us receives a reward for the way that we've followed him, for how we've lived our lives in following Jesus. You've all gone really quiet. You all okay? Okay. You don't like talking about taking up your cross and dying on the cross? Happy Easter. I want to uh, take you through one more of the Gospels and then we'll uh, end up in Romans. Uh, Sorry, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. So this is a similar conversation, but I want to point out um, a difference. Uh, Verse 27. Now Jesus and his disciples went on to the village around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, who do people say I am. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. What about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Now you have to know that Jesus isn't on an ego trip, that's not how Jesus operates. He's actually testing the disciples, inquiring them of what they see and who they see Jesus to be and what their understanding is. Peter answered, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, and he warned them, not to tell anyone about this. And again, he has the interaction um, with Peter where he predicts his death and then he has a conversation with Peter where Peter rebukes him for wanting to, to uh, be crucified, for heading to crucifixion, and Jesus rebukes him for doing that. And Jesus' response, Mark records it a little bit differently and I wanted to highlight this. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous 
and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Uh, Jesus, you've got such a way with words, haven't you? The promise that we have from Jesus is one that he knows that he can give because he has come from heaven and returns to heaven. The suffering, the persecution, like Simon said, we don't know persecution like they do in other places, in other countries. The suffering that we might receive, the trials and tribulations that we go through are all, are all as we lay down the life that we think we should live and take up the life that Jesus has for us to live. Because he's not thinking from what we go through, the short amount of time that we're here on earth. He operates from an eternal perspective the whole time. This is a conversation that he had with Nicodemus. This is a conversation he has with Peter and the disciples. This is the conversation and the relationship that he invites us to be a part of. So we can cling to our lives and what we think they should be with our earthly satisfactions, our earthly pleasures, our earthly comforts, whatever that might look like, or we can actually lay all that down and take up our cross, die to self and say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wholeheartedly. Wherever you lead, whatever you call me to do, whatever that looks like, however uncomfortable I might feel in the moment, whether that's going and visiting another country for a couple of weeks, whether that's working in a workplace that actually feels like this side of hell. But I lay that down and I say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to get your perspective. I'm going to see this through your eyes. I'm going to follow your will and your purposes in every area of my life, even when it's uncomfortable. Even when it's uncomfortable. Because his promise, isn't that it'll be easy or even fun? It can be fun. It is fun. But that's not his promise. His promise is like, this is actually hard. This is the choice that you have to make. This is the choice that as followers of Jesus we have to make. And some days, some weeks, some years, that's actually easier than others. But he says, you take up your cross, you follow me and get heaven's perspective on your life and who I'm calling you to be, what I have in store for you. I want to take you to uh, Romans 8. And this is, a, a, um, as Paul writes to the church in Rome, he's talking actually about um, baptism. And as we go through baptism, um, the death that we die is to identify with the death of Jesus. And as we come up out of the waters of baptism, we enter into new life, new life that we have through Jesus. So I, I remember when I got baptised, I got baptised when I was seven years old in uh, York Street Church of Christ, and my dad baptised me. Um, it's a long time ago now. And all I remember about it is bright lights, and I was wearing my Ronald McDonald T-shirt because you should always look good for baptism. I don't have a Ronald McDonald t-shirt now. Um, but afterwards, my dad said, um, did you notice how hot the water was? I said, nope. He said, Dad, run it really hot. And apparently, like, my legs were red because the water was so hot. But I had no idea. And, I, like, I'm not saying I'm super holy and spiritual. I'm like, no, Dad, I am above pain that's not what I'm saying. But that story stands out to me and it's kind of a reminder for me. I'm like, oh, what, what am I actually fixing my eyes on in this moment? Romans 6, 
In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace." Mm. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. It, like, it's, it's not a super fun message. Like, uh, you're dead. Like, I don't remember receiving that discipleship talk when I said, I want to get baptised. I don't remember sitting down with Dad and Dad saying, Listen, son, um, you're going to die. You need to take up your cross, follow Jesus, you're dead. But Paul, you read Romans, and Paul talks about all the time, you're dead, 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 dead. The old man is dead, the new man has come to life through Christ Jesus. Which is actually the greatest gift that we can receive. And some of you, I, I feel like this is just a reminder for some of us. Like this is, a, it's not revelation. Maybe it's like, I hope it's encouraging. Like some of you have done this all your life. Some of you will let go of things because Jesus isn't on it. Some of you made choices that distance you from other people around you because that is what called, Jesus has called you to do. As you have taken up your cross, you've made decisions that haven't been popular, that may have been humiliating, that haven't left you feeling good in the moment. But Jesus says, no, actually, as you, follow, as you follow me, as you carry your cross, as you are dead to sin but alive in me, that's actually the decision I called you to make. I see that. You get rewarded for that. That's not our motivation, but that's what happens. Do you know the thing that happens when you carry your cross and follow Jesus? You can't time out. You can't just go, oh, um, I'm just going to have a rest today, Jesus, okay? I'm just going to lay my cross down and I'll catch up. It doesn't happen. It's like being a Christian isn't a part-time gig. Carrying a cross isn't like a, um, isn't part-time. This is a lifetime commitment. And Jesus says, you come to follow me. And I will give you life. I will give you life. Let's stand. If, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're like, wow, this is so... Man, this is your first Sunday. If this is your first Sunday and you're not a follower of Jesus, The life that he has for us is better than anything we could hope or imagine. Anyone in this room who's a follower of Jesus can testify to that. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, then don't let today pass without taking up his invitation to receive the gift of new life that he has for you. Jesus also said, come to me all who are weary my yoke is easy and my burden is light.
because as we follow him, as we take up our cross and follow him, we actually walk in step with him and he in step with us because he does not leave us and he does not forsake us. Even just this morning, I just have the sense that some of us are really just tired. Maybe not sleep tired, I think that's part of it. Maybe we are sleep tired, but some of us are just tired of life. Can we just close our eyes and we just come before the Lord in prayer? Jesus, you are the lover and restorer of our souls. For those of us that are burdened and weary, for those of us that are just tired, for those of us that are frustrated, those of us that are looking at today, tomorrow, this week, the future, and it just all seems too hard, I pray that your, your healing balm would overflow in us now. Holy Spirit, come and have your way in this place. Reveal your peace and your presence amongst us today. Lord, for those of us that believe that you're not that good, for those of us that think that you're not going to keep your word, for those of us that think, oh, yeah, I've been carrying my cross all my life and it's just too hard, would you meet with them right where they're at, Lord? Would they know peace that surpasses understanding? Would they know the comfort of the Holy Spirit? King Jesus, would you open our eyes to see things as you see them? For those of us that have given up hope, because it's just too hard to keep hoping. Would you restore our hope? Lord, would you restore dreams in our hearts and our lives? Proverbs says that a dream fulfilled is the tree of life. May we see our dreams fulfilled. May our dreams come straight from the throne room of God. The hope that we have in Jesus far surpasses any pain, any suffering, any trial, any tribulation, any persecution that we face here on earth. And I don't say that as just trite words. I say that as a hope and encouragement for all of us, especially for those where it's just too hard. Let's celebrate his beautiful name.